Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name is Chaim, and I am a grateful, recovering sexaholic. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity. If we could just take a minute to really connect with our higher power, which I choose to believe is God. Let's take a deep breath, try to center ourselves, and ask God to give us the ability to hear what we need to hear. In my case, what my little Chaim needs to hear. I would like to read from page 99 in the 12 and 12. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgiving that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, It is by dying that one is awakened to eternal life. Amen. So the topic of today's meeting, sober, is it worth it? I chose this prayer because when I'm drunk, when I'm out there acting out, when I'm doing behaviors that every fiber of my being says don't do, and yet I'm doing it, I cannot be a channel of life. I can't bring hope. I can't do anything. I'm a drunk. I am a dead drunk. Sober is it worth it? It's not. It's really not worth it to be sober. If it was worth it to be sober, I would have been sober prior to trying to get sober. If it was worth it, then I would have been sober. I don't need program if sober is worth it. I have the ability to be sober. So why do I need you? Why do I need program for? It's worth it. Let me just not act out. Let me just not go to prostitutes strip clubs, adult bookshops. Let me not lie. Let me not cheat. Let me not take. It's worth it. The sobriety that I'm looking for in this fellowship is not the sobriety of I just, in my case, just close my zipper. It's not the sobriety. I just got to my meeting and I could check it off the box. That type of sobriety means I'm in control. I have the capability of just staying sober. The sobriety that I I need in order not to go to the strip club that I promised myself not to go to a hundred times is the prayer that we just read, is the prayer we just said. You know, 20 minutes before I got onto this to give this talk, 
my son asked me, could I play basketball? And the feeling inside of me was like, oh my God, I'm about to give this talk. Like I need to like center myself and da, 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 da. And it hit me. The whole reason I'm sober is to have an opportunity to play basketball with my son. When I was in the strip club and my phone was ringing and my wife was calling and my kids were calling, dad, when are you going to be home? There was no opportunity for me to play basketball with my son. The fact that I was able to sit at supper tonight is the sobriety that's worth it. This sobriety of just staying sober sucks. Not only does it suck, but it's not worth it. You don't even get to get the enjoyment of the ejaculation. It really is a miserable sobriety. The sobriety that I seek today is to be a channel of thy love. You know, my wife told me, I said this many times, you know, if your disease could hurt so much that could warrant me to be in a program for the rest of my life, if your disease could be so devastating that it could destroy our family, if your disease cannot allow you to put your child to bed, if your disease could be a disease that when I begged you not to act out because I was about to have a baby and you could not not act out, then the solution for your disease needs to be even greater. Then the solution for your disease needs to be able to heal even deeper. Then God, who created this 12-step program, has to heal my heart that much deeper that you broke it. That's the recovery, the sobriety I'm looking for. The sobriety of, I didn't act out, we hear it in the fellowship, 10 days, a year, three years, a life sucks. I don't wish it on my enemies. <laughs> you might as well just go and, you know, go out there and go hang out and party. But uh, the whole reason, what I'm getting at is, the whole, there's a reason I acted out. The reason I acted out is because I didn't have a way not to act out because all the trauma, all the pain, all the confusion, all the confusion that I felt from religion, all the stuff that was done with me my whole life needed an ejaculation for me to continue the next 12 hours. I had no way to continue otherwise. What am I supposed to do? I tried all the tricks of the trade. I want to say something to all the people that are fairly new in recovery. And I say this to you in the bottom of my heart. You know, thank God I'm sober today for over 11 years. If you would have told me 11 and a half years ago that I'm going to be on a Zoom conference speaking to numerous people around the world, sexually sober for 11 years, over my dead body, I needed to ma masturbate. An erection for me meant masturbating. Anger towards my wife meant me going to a strip club because it was her fault. My kids misbehaving meant me getting physical and running out of the house. You would have told me I'm gonna be sober for 11 and a half years? It's not possible. But I want to say something to the newcomers. I want to tell you how I got sober. Page 30 in the big book says, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing to many Pursue it into the gates of insanity and hell. Again, I'll repeat it. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. If I could add one thing, 
or they stay alive and live an insanity death life. Now, what illusion is he talking about? The sentence before, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And this persistence of this illusion is astonishing. And many may pursue it to the gates of insanity or death, or if I may add, stay alive and live an insane death life. That's how I stayed sober. I say sober because I believe the big book. I believed the 12 and 12. I believed the white book. You know why I believed it? I believed it because I kicked and screamed for the first two years in recovery, maybe even three or four, that I never hit my bottom. If only I did X, Y, and Z, that would be my bottom. If only I did something else, that would be my bottom. But look at that way she is dressing. And look what she's wearing. If only my wife. If only, if only, if only, if only. And I sat in program and bitched and complained and said, I need another drink. Until I had an epiphany. The definition of sexualism is the desire to drink to the gates of hell. And I will have that desire one day at a time. It will get easier because I got to tell you, it did get easier for me. Much easier. But the temptation comes up every once in a while. And even the desire comes up once in a while. To the newcomer, the way I got sober, to the people that are sober for a year or two, even 10 or 20, the way we learn to stay sober is by appreciating, embracing the fact that I have a disease that warrants me to want the next drink. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if you're on this same thing all day and night. And somehow before you go to sleep, you have that thought of, you know something, I want to masturbate. But how does that make sense? I put in so much work in recovery. That's the reason why you and me needed to be on this all day and not the other guy that wasn't on it. The other guy doesn't need to be on here because he won't finish being on here and then think, maybe I could act that one more time. Maybe I could just um, play with myself a little bit. Maybe let me check the news, which leads me to the next piece of news, which leads me to, to the newcomer, to the people that are struggling, to the people that are in program for a long time. The program works. It really does. It really, 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 really works if we really, really work it. For me, for me, the way I work it is by running after recovery the way I ran after my disease. I guarantee you, if you run after your recovery the way you ran after your disease, measure for measure, measure for measure, the miracle will happen, the miracle will stay, and the miracle will last. It hit me today in, in work. I should say before that, last night I went to somebody's celebration. I traveled an hour and a half. I went to a meeting by somebody, celebrated 28 years of sobriety. Then I drove back. And then today, practically all day I was on, I had this eye thing in my ear. I'm listening all day from one speaker to the next, to the next, while I'm working, while I'm going, while I'm coming, I'm, I'm giving yeses and noes to everybody, but I'm listening. So I'm, I'm my own boss. I have the luxury to be able to do that and not cheat. But that's what I was busy all day. And it hit me at one point, like, why did you put it down? Like, come on, you know, there's money to be made. There's, there's life to live. Like, who needs it? What, you never heard Harvey before? <laughs> Like, like, come on. 
how many screens that I have open by work at the same time. Tens of pornography screens on the same time. Boxes and boxes when I would have to X them out. At one point, I would just slam the, the damn screen shut. There were so many Xs to need it to X out. The beauty, today I could sit in work for measure for measure and give Chaim the opportunity to heal and recover the same way I went after my lust. I traveled last night for recovery the same way I traveled for my lust. There was nowhere I wouldn't go. That's how I stayed sober. That's how I continue to stay sober. Sober, is it worth it? It's not. The hell on earth of naturally coming in and needing to say on my day one, or the thing of I needed to share my last measure of basically almost by the skin of my teeth acting out is hell. It's shameful. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing for myself. But when I committed to recovery in the gut, in the deep, deep, true gut, recognizing that I am so sick. I want to tell you how sick I am a little bit. And I recommend you doing the same. And this is a new behavior I do with all my sponsees. In step one, write down the 10 most insane and crazy behaviors you ever did. Powerless, unmanageable, whichever one you want it to be, both, none. On the opposite side of the paper, write down the 10 things you still want to do. You still wish to do. Your wildest, craziest fantasy in the world. And then visualize saying it over to your block meeting, your next block meeting. I just want to share with you a little bit what goes on in my head. <laughs> Imagine if you have a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, if you have a best friend at a program. Imagine telling it to them. Imagine the reaction. You know, sometimes we get so lost in this program, we're sitting around and my MOs or your MOs, we're all the same. We're all doing these crazy, insane things and we have these histories and everything. I need to be humble and remind myself that this is my disease. This is really, really my disease. If I get into the fiber of my being how sick I am, the beauty like we hear in programs so much is God takes the, that list of both sides of that paper and turns it into fertilizer. He takes that manure, that wreckage, that insanity, that causing so many people pain and hell. And he turns that, that manure into fertilizer. Now the manure I don't want anymore. That type of sobriety, no, it's not worth it. But when I watch that fertilizer, when I watch the plants starting to grow and blossom, when I know that because of my disease, I have opportunity to give healing to so many. When I watch families get rebuilt because of my brokenness and pain that I went through, when I watch the healing in my own family with my own wife, when my own wife could tell me that I wish the husband that I have our children to have, That's sober that I want. That's sober that I want. The sober of just counting days, the sober of just counting chips, the sober of and the sober of and the sober of, I don't want that sobriety. I'm here to say that there is great sobriety out there. 
There is fun sobriety. There is joy sobriety. There is healing sobriety. The sobriety that I started off this meeting with. That prayer, when I read that prayer the first time, and they told me to meditate on that, and I felt that my garbage could turn into somebody else's gold, that keeps me coming back. That gives me the ability to still be honest. When I recognize that, yes, my desires and temptation on a daily basis to want to act out, it's just because I'm sick and not judge them, just allow it to come and allow it to go and not fight it and not give it energy, but rather to embrace it. This is who I am. To recognize that those desires is just God tapping me on the shoulder and saying, I love you. Reach out to somebody else and ask him how he's doing. That's sober that I want. And that's sober that attracts. That's sobriety that makes other people want what you have. And that's what I saw by my sponsor. What I see by my sponsor. What I see by other people that I've followed in the, in the program of recovery. You know what's amazing? What's amazing is this program actually works. For years, I ran around and ran around looking for help, and I couldn't find it. You know what's a sober that I want? I visualize to myself sometimes, if I was given the love and the attention and the care and the security, I want everybody to sit back a minute and imagine this. Imagine their parents and their teachers and their educators gave them the love and security and comfort that they needed as a child. Just breathe that in a second. Imagine when you made a mistake, you were told it's okay. Imagine when you did wrong, you were told, it's fine. Imagine when you failed, they told you next time you're going to get it right. Imagine if you weren't given that pain and suffering. Imagine if I was taught the skills of, of codependency or the lack thereof. Imagine who we would be today if we were given all that. Imagine if we were taught what it means, a loving and caring God, who no matter what will forever love you. Who would I be today if I was given all those messages? How much safer I would be, how much more secure I would be. Do you know that we have all those messages that we're capable of actually giving over to our children, to our grandchildren? We have all those messages that we get in recovery and we can bring it to our meals at home. We can give the message of forgiving, the message of love. I said this over recently, but it's worthwhile saying it again. So I have a four-year-old daughter that was playing in the house with, a, with her friend. And this kid, let's call him Joe for argument's sake, is at the house playing with my daughter. And they said, hey, let's play Tati Mommy, Dad and Mom. And this guy, this kid, four-year-old, starts bossing around my daughter Telling my daughter what she needs to do and not need to do. My wife is in the other room and hears this and just listens. And my wife shared this with me, this story. And at one point, my daughter turns around <laughs> and she says, fathers don't boss around mothers and tell mothers what to do. Fathers just communicate. This is a four-year-old. They sit around and talk. 
They don't boss around. Fathers help. My son comes in from the other room. He's an eight-year-old. And he starts going, yeah, since when does fathers ever scream and yell? You know the healing that that gave to my wife? We have the capability to give that over to our children. That they don't get married into abusive marriages. Where they understand who a father is supposed to be in a home. He's supposed to be there to help. He's supposed to be there to love. I didn't have any of this pre-programmed. I thought I was the king. I thought you come home, you just bust people around. That's what I was doing 12 years ago. These are some of the tools that we learn and program and we could give over. But it starts off with sexual sobriety. It continues with sexual sobriety. It ends with sexual sobriety. You know, listening to all these speakers all day today, I was so blown away, so blown away. And some of the messages that you hear is everybody owns their step one. They don't fight it. And that's what I encourage everybody to do. That's what I encourage myself to do on a daily basis. So what? There's that girl that she's beautiful and my mind is going to who knows what. Big deal. That's how I'm wired. But this tools and program. God, whatever it is I'm looking for in her may I find in you. God, I pray for her, which is a huge tool I learned. God, let her be a blessing. Let her find happiness and peace and serenity. You can't take and give to somebody at the same time. Tools like getting your mind busy with something else. Tools like simply accepting the fact how sick I am. Acceptance is the key to a happy and joyous freedom I'll otherwise never know. The first acceptance I need to know is that I am a sick lustaholic and sexaholic. My essence of my body cries with outstretched arms, lusting after the next fix. Please connect with me and make me whole. We cry with outstretched arms. I don't shame myself for that. That's who I am. Do I get better? Yes. Do I do that on a daily basis today? No. But when those temptations come up and those desires come up, I have tools to deal with it. I have serious tools to deal with it. But it takes time. It takes work. That's a sobriety that I want to have. A sobriety, it brings me back to the early days, you know, where my sponsor used to tell me, it's time to lift your head, look the world in the eyes, and stand free. Stand free. I could look the world in the eyes and stand free. I could even today look at beautiful women in the eyes and stand free. I don't have to have shame. Even if a lust thought comes up, I don't have to carry shame. I don't have to embarrass myself for it. This is who I am. If I hold on to my cup of coffee, I can't give my cup of coffee away to you. Even if I say, take it, take it, take it, so long as I hold on to it, you will never get it. If I beg you and plead for you, take my cup and coffee, but I'm holding on to it with dear life, you can't get it. If I hold on to my lust, even if I beg God to give it away, he can't take it. I need to give it. I need to give all of me. That realization, that acceptance, that peace is the sobriety that I learned from you guys that I want to have.
I had the opportunity to go to about, I would say, 11 or 12 national, international conventions. And the first bunch of years, I would run around sober for six months, for one year, three years, five years, and I would run around to all the old timers. And I would tell them, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I still have lust in me. And they would say, what do you mean? You took an action? What did you do? I would say, no, thoughts are coming in my head. And I only wish if I only could and blah, 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 blah. And all of them gave me this beautiful message. That's why you're at an international convention called Sexaholics Anonymous. (laughs) This is who we are. Big deal. You know how many people acted out because they took their fantasies serious? They took their thoughts serious? Who really cares what's going on in my head? And the realization that you know something? If I watched one billion elephants from the ages of 9 to 27... You know what I would be thinking about all day? Elephants. Elephants. If I watched every type of elephants and every way elephants moved and performed and acted all day, you know what I would be thinking about at the age of 39? Elephants. That's who I am. Big deal. No more shame. We shamed ourselves. Our whole life, we shamed ourselves. We were shamed. We shamed within. We shamed without. I thought I'm going to die an old, nasty, smelly, shameful, hidden, disgusting guy. I really thought that. I could not, for the life of mine, stop watching porn. I was shown it at the age of nine. I hid it under my mattress. I hid it under the carpet. And I could not put it down. Even in early recovery, the first few years, I couldn't put it down. I would go six months, four months. I could not put it down. The shovel somehow ended up in my hands and I just dug again. My message to everyone, no matter where you're holding in recovery, if you commit to this 12-step program, if you commit to going to meetings, One day the shovel will be just taken out of your hands. Somehow. I loved when the old timers told me all the questions that I have, I'll answer for you in a year into recovery. One year into recovery. The questions, what's interestingly, what's interesting, the questions that I have today that are really bothering me, that I really feel like I need an answer for, in one week from now, I won't even know that I had those questions. That's how important, quote unquote, those questions really are. The desire and temptation today for lust, if I surrender it and get myself to another meeting, in a week from now, I won't even know I had it. Don't take yourself too damn serious is one of the greatest slogans of program. Big deal, I desire that woman. Big deal, I want to go online and chat. Big deal. That's how I'm wired. What works for me is a commitment to seven to 10 meetings a week in the first year and a half of recovery. It wasn't an option of missing a meeting. 
The same way there's no option for me not taking a leak when my bladder is exploding, there is no option for me to miss a meeting. Today, with the guidance of my sponsor, 11 and a half years later, I don't go to seven to 10 meetings. I go to three meetings a week. But you could count me in 7.15 Tuesday, 7.15 Thursday, 9.30 Sunday, I own my seat at the meeting. There's no makeup meetings. There's no meetings that I'll go to instead of. That's what I own. That's where I am. Does it happen that there is a time that I miss? Of course. But that's where I am and that's where I own. My program is my life. Lust was my life. Porn was my life. Measure for measure. There is nothing in the world more important to me and sacred than my program, than me working my program, than me staying sexually sober. Nothing. We say it in program a million times, anything that I put in front of recovery, I will lose. Anything that I put after recovery, I have a chance to get. I never dreamt in my wildest dreams I would have the gifts in my life that I have today. I never dreamt in the wildest dreams of my life that I would be able to go through some of the crap that I went through. I never dreamt that I would be able to be there for my parents the way that I am today after everything we've been through. That I would be able to be there for my family the way I am. It all came from sexual sobriety and working the 12 steps. There has to be an energy of the 12 steps that keeps going and keeps giving. If I have that energy, if I have that enthusiasm, if I care to help another person, in the literature it says so clearly, working intensely, with another sexaholic. Helping other sexaholics. That is something I don't want to miss. I'd like to wrap up by saying that I'm grateful for my sexual sobriety today. God has given me the gift of sexual sobriety. But let me tell you, it's all God and it's all God and it's all God. But even God can't keep Chaim sober if Chaim stops going to meetings and stops working the program. If you are sober, it's because of a lot of work. If, it's, if you're acting out, it's because of a lot of work. Daniel, thanks a million for giving me this opportunity. Today was a massive day. And everybody who helped set this up, I really appreciate it. And God bless. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Chaim. Um, and don't run away because we're going to ask uh, for questions from, uh, from the people here watching. And um, we do have a few questions already. And I, I kind of knew the only way I was going to get you to actually come and see what the sim was about was by bringing you in as a speaker. And just really, uh, really, like, like, you know, just really a little I bit. I actually didn't want to speak. I remember. I actually I, didn't want to speak. You know what that reminds me of, by the way? Yeah. My sponsor and my home group in my first year of sobriety had a group conscience to ask Chaim to stop talking at meetings. Can you imagine? <laughs> it went so well that they voted it in again. So when I tell you I don't want to speak, I'm serious. It's a miracle. <laughs> and like a true addict, you haven't been able to turn it off since it began. And that's, really, that's the magic of Sim. It, but I always, uh, for me, the, since, since the first time we did this, 
it's basically a spiritual experience over 24 hours. There's no, there's no changing, you know, it's like, I find myself and I just try and bring all my local groups, you know, come and join. And not many of them join. You did a, such a good job. It's not me. It's a, it's a whole committee is that there's a lot of people behind everybody that was involved. And, and, and it just raises me on, on the neck. It's like my recovery moves to the next level after a sim. I'm just on a high. I get so much recovery and it's just such a blessing. So um, we'll go to a few questions. Um, the first question uh, came very early at the very beginning. Um, it's an interesting question. He said, uh, sounds like you're describing recovery being better than sobriety. It's kind of more of a statement, right? Uh, I guess sober as well is the, is the reference there, right? Um, do you have anything to say about that, the difference between sobriety and recovery? So I appreciate the question. Sobriety for myself is, is the definition of the white book. No sex with self other than a spouse. And that is a miracle beyond human comprehension. And that's why I came to SA. I came to SA not to act out because it was making my life unmanageable. I was wrecking everything in my life. And that's sexually sober. But I learned in this program that that's only the beginning I learned that the whole reason I'm acting out is because I have so many other issues in my life. And if I don't get those other issues under control, which I am powerless over, I can't will it. I can't want it. I can't pray it even. I co-work a 12-step program that cleans the pipe. If you could imagine a pipe that's connecting between me and God that I clog. And the way to unclog it is the 12 steps. And that gave me more than sobriety. Thank you so much for your talk. That's amazing. Um, the next question is, uh, when one relapses on his sexual sobriety, he has to reset the date. Does this mean his spiritual recovery also starts from day one again? In other words, is it possible that a person relapsing sexually is still improving spiritually? It's an interesting question. We get that a lot with my sponsor acted out, so I keep him as a sponsor. It's that same type of idea. You know, the literature says that this is a spiritual disease. And I came to well, well know the spiritual disease. It's not a shame. It's not if I acted out I'm a piece of garbage and I start over and I self-load myself and I'm, I'm worthless. Sexual acting out has to become a non-option in this program. Prior to this program, you could act out. This program is for sexual sobriety. There are other programs. Now, we're not telling you to leave. God forbid I've acted out in this program. If they told me to leave, I wouldn't be here. But there has to be I'm willing to do anything and everything in my power and not in my power to stay sexually sober. I had it three times in the last month where guys confronted me and told me straight out, I am willing to do everything and anything and whatever you tell me I'll do. And I'm in the program for X amount of time. There's one particular guy who came, comes to mind. And when I told him, no, you're not, and I took the approach of what some old timers told me, no, you're not willing to go to any lens. You're lying. It's not a shame, but you're not. The guy started to confront me. But after we spoke a bit, he began to cry. One guy in particular who's in program for about 13 years. And he cracked and he said, I am willing now to do whatever it takes. And I asked him to look deep, really, whatever it takes. And I learned this from some old timers. You tell those guys who say they're willing to go to any lengths, you tell them something crazy to do. And if they fight, they're not willing to. So what, this one guy in particular, I said, don't go to work for the next week. Two weeks later, this guy is sober. He sent me a message tonight. He's sober for two weeks. And bravo to him. 
There's another guy who asked me to recently sponsor him. He's in program for years. Couldn't get sober. And he lives an hour and a half away from my meeting. So I mentioned to him, you want me to sponsor you? Okay, drive to my meeting three times a week. <laughs> I figured that would get him out of the way. He's showing up three times a week to my meeting. <laughs> and now other guys at the meeting are like, wow, this is called going to any lens. So I need to be true to myself. I risked everything in order to act out. I acted out of my office. I acted out everywhere. Am I willing to sober up everywhere? Whether it's in the bathroom, whether it's in my synagogue, whether it's in my bedroom, am I willing to read and write and learn this program like my life depends on it because it does? If I'm willing to do that, then I'm going to have the sobriety and the recovery that comes with it. I was holding in a place at one point, and it's embarrassing to say this, I wish I didn't marry the wife that I married. When I think about that today, I got absolutely cry. She's the best thing times 100 that was ever done to me in my life. And I didn't want her. I hope I answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few, uh, we've had a lot of feedback coming in the in the world around me on WhatsApp as well, and a few people have asked for your number um, to be in touch with you. If that's okay, I, uh, if I know who they are, I'll give it. I'll give it to them. Yeah. Um, the next question: How does a person come back after relapse, especially after losing long-term sobriety? It's so hard that in this program, a person that had three or four years of sobriety and lose it basically feels worthless when it comes to service positions, sponsorship sharing hope and worthiness. I don't have experience on this topic, so I'm really uncomfortable sharing an answer on this topic. But what I could tell you is what other people have shared with me. And they have shared with me that when they came back and sobered up for 30 days and 60 days, they thanked God for that relapse. Because that relapse rocketed them into a place that I, who pretty much stayed sober from the beginning, never got. They found a God that I lost after. <laughs> God gave them a tremendous gift. How a relapse does that to people, I don't know. And I don't recommend it. <laughs> but come back. The program needs you. You didn't lose what you got. You didn't, and it's going to show by you coming back. If you leave, it shows that you never had it. But by you coming back and giving over that strength, don't put your head down, but be humble that it takes some time to get that allergy out of your body because you're under a spell. So humble yourself, come back. Work the program, take an inventory with your sponsor. And the same way when lust comes into your head, you let it go. When any type of noise comes into your head, just let it go. This is just noise. But you don't have another place to go to get sobriety. And if you got the three to four years and you were gifted, so wow. Wow. Think about where you were three, four years ago. Think about where you could be. Think about the people's lives you have affected. Next question. Uh, you mentioned you'd fought program the first couple of years. What was the moment that made you really start working recovery? It's a great question. There is no moment. There is no moment. You know, I felt this a lot of times hanging out with old timers by conventions. There was this feeling of I just wanted to take like a tube, put it into their vein, take the other side of the tube, plug it into my vein and literally like zap out of them everything that they got. Like turn on that light switch. We're junkies. Even in program, we got that junkie in us. And it's like, what's the moment? What's the prayer? Is there that one thing you did that one time that literally makes me you? 
No, there isn't a moment. There was many thousands of moments, thousands of meetings. I kept at it. I spoke about it. I shared about it. Sometimes I was honest about it and sometimes I wasn't. I was learning what the words honesty even means. I don't know what honesty means. But I kept coming back and kept coming back and begged people to help me because I need a bottom and I don't feel I have a bottom. And the answer to the bottom is where I put down the shovel. The answer to the bottom is where I get off the elevator. That is the bottom. The answer to the bottom is where I stop. Not because I have the skills to stop or the capability, but I beg you to teach me what it means to stop. There was no moment for me. It was on and off of a lot, a lot of, a lot of pain, I'm gonna be honest. Some people were given the gifts, they, they hit a such a low that they just found that bottom that wasn't my story. But interesting, when I spoke to those people that seemingly had the lowest bottom, that if I did what they did, I would feel like I hit a bottom. They tell me that they didn't hit their bottom. <laughs> they still have a bottom. I remember one of the craziest guys in my fellowship looked at me and said, you're one of the craziest guys in this fellowship. We're drunks. But if you continuously read the big book, read the white book, read the 12 and 12, if I could tell anybody in this program something that has helped me enormously, 30 days, the doctor's opinion, every day, 30 days, the doctor's opinion. And then the next 30 days, step one in the 12 and 12, slowly read it, underline it. It is so fascinating and so godly that every time you read it, it's like there's a new message that just pops out. Next question. I almost had a year. I find myself not giving myself seriously to the program or anything. Are you guys a different breed who do things with seriousness? <laughs> <laughs> You want to explain what he means? <laughs> um, I, can't, I, I can't put myself in where, where they're coming from. I think he's trying to. I think he's trying to say, what, what do we have that he doesn't? <laughs> you know, in AA, there's a, there's a slogan. There's a slogan they say in AA that if you're not ready, then make yourself ready. I needed a lot of that. I am naturally a joker. I ain't no serious guy. I'm naturally a player. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to get carried away. You know, I want to make fun of everything and anything and just, I'm not a serious guy. I need to take out the piece of paper with the 10 things that I still want to do. And understand that if I don't give myself to this program, I might not have the privilege of being arrested. I might actually stay alive out of prison and in hell the rest of my life. I might never give a kiss to my child. I might never have real love. I might not ever have a sexual interaction with a woman in a healthy way which if you never did, you are missing something. It is very special. It is very healing and rewarding. There's a guy I met by a convention. I met him on Friday night and he told me he's in abstinence with his wife for, I don't remember, six months, eight months. I want to divorce this woman. She doesn't understand, blah, 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 blah. And I spoke to him about this old 12th step, what it means to love, what it means to give up, what it means to be there for the wife, what it means to, it's not about me and my ejaculation. And he said to me, how is she going to know? And I told him what the old timers told me, she will know. 
And I promise you, if you have a change of attitude and a change of heart, and Roy K. talks about it, we're one soul. We're one soul. She will feel it. Because if you resent, that person feels it even if you never told them that you resent them. And if you forgive, that person feels the forgiveness even if you never told it to them. Sunday morning, the guy told me with a huge smile from ear to ear, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? He said, my wife came to me and asked if we could be intimate. I said, Tim, what are you talking about? What did you do? I didn't do nothing. I, Chaim, didn't do nothing. He said, when I finished speaking to you, I went into the meditation room. I sat there for 20 minutes and I asked for healing and love. And within 48 hours, his wife asked to be together with him. Now, don't call me if it doesn't happen to you. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this stuff works. It's crazy, this program. So next question. Um, when you were uh, doing your meetings seven to ten a week, did you they were they all scheduled or did some of them just occur when you needed them? You found them. So in those days, we didn't have a lot of meetings. We had two meetings locally. And God had it that two, three new guys came into program within those weeks. And as a result of that, we just created meetings all over the place. Three guys, five guys, seven guys. And we traveled. We weren't scared of the car. I mean, how much hours did we spend cruising? Again, measure for measure. We traveled all over the place. Anywhere that had a meeting, we made it to that meeting. Morning, night, and evening. And one of the greatest tricks of sexual sobriety is you only need to stay sober from meeting to meeting. So while you're by the meeting, don't go to the bathroom too long. And stay in the meeting for a long time. And make sure you get to the next meeting very quickly. So if you get to a lot of meetings between meetings and meetings, you have less of a chance to act out. Thanks. So we're going to go to, we've got time for one last question. Um, what is your experience, this is back to what you were saying about the group conscious, what is your experience of group conscious meetings and encountering the higher power with the group fellowship and how the group carries the message? Again, that what? Uh, they're asking about your experience of these, uh, of the, of group conscious meetings and meeting God in that, in that group, group consciousness and carrying the message. It's a broad question, I guess. It's a very broad question. I mean, regarding group conscious, it taught me a lot of humility. I personally think I have the answer to everybody's problems. Um, I'm learning that I actually don't. <laughs> it's taking time. But it's, it's very humbling for me. There was a period I, I couldn't go to group conscious meetings. I was just too arrogant and it brought up so much for me. So I left. And then I needed to learn to humble myself and sit through it. And I have one voice, one opinion. And God, our loving God, like it says in our traditions, will talk through the group. And I've been surprised more than once that my opinion, with all its energy and adrenaline and everything that I think my opinion stands for, has been proven to be wrong. And the other people's voices have been helpful. So it's very powerful, the, the group conscious and the group meetings and to just sit back. Right now, I believe something very strongly about my group that it's not doing. And I want to force my will. And I've, I've been shown that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And there's nothing worthwhile getting myself any more worked up over. There really isn't. I risk my sobriety. I risk my, my sanity. And you know something? I deserve today to be happy, joyous, free. I deserve to give my kids kisses and hugs. I deserve to love myself. I deserve today a beautiful life. I had enough pain in my life. I really did. So for today, I try to keep things as even keel as possible. And obviously I make mistakes sometimes. Thank you for letting me share. 
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.